I wanted to show you like this little video this morning. This is uh, from Village Church down in Dallas. Some friends allowed us to watch that this morning. And I thought it was just great to show you a little bit of a, uh, a visual of some of what's going on in this story. Today we begin a new series in the book of Acts. And uh, I don't know, honestly, a more exciting story, period. I love movies. I love going to the movie theater and I love action adventure movies, though I never get to see them because I'm a father of little children. I have to watch Disney movies nonstop, that kind of thing. But occasionally, I get to watch something that has some excitement and adventure. And uh, man, there's, there's hardly a story that has as much excitement and events that holds your attention, that uh, gets you excited about what's going on than the story in the book of Acts. And I just wanted us to see kind of visually what that would look like. What kind of story are we talking about that has Jesus, right, just lifting up in the air, just rising up and going into heaven? What kind of story are we talking about that has tongues of fire, and, and we don't even really know what that is, right? That has people speaking in different languages perfectly and miraculously, so much so that people from those countries go, is he not? I thought he was from Galilee. What about incredible conversions like Saul? Saul is a persecutor of the church, remember? He's the one that's having Christians uh, killed and persecuted, and in a matter of days after meeting Jesus, things completely change. In a matter of days, he becomes uh, not only a believer <laughs> that Jesus is Lord, but he begins to preach that Jesus is Lord. And now he's being persecuted and hunted in a matter of days. What about, uh, I love the story of Philip. This is like, listen, how many, how many uh, sci-fi fans we got? I know we got one right there. How many sci-fi fans we got? Yeah, this is like something out of Star Trek. I'm not kidding. Philip miraculously disappears and is transported from one place to another. Beam me up, Scotty. That's, it's that kind of a deal, right? It's, it's, they're not really robots, but, you know. It has that kind of effect. What is going on in this story? Persecution, murder, huge crowds believing and coming to know Jesus, shipwrecks, an insane emperor. He's crazy. And he is determined to stop this story, to stop this gospel of Jesus from spreading. But does it? <laughs> no. No. And the cool part of this, listen, church, we are in the story. Did you know that? We read this this morning. But the reality is the story is not over. We are part of the story. We're in it. We're actors we're, we're role players in this great story of Jesus' mission to the world, you and I. Now, how many movies do you get to do that? Some movies I go to, you know, they're action-adventure, and I walk out, and I feel like maybe I've got some better karate moves, or, but I don't. But the reality is, in this story, in this story, we really are a part of it. It's a continuation of the greater story. So in the middle of this incredible opposition, in the middle of this craziness, the message of Jesus goes forward. Like a flame, the Spirit of God takes this all over the world, and he's still doing it by his grace in simple people like you and me. Now, we don't really see the word or the uh, institution of the church before this point. 
We, we see the people of God. We see the nation of Israel. They're known as the people of God or the chosen ones of God, right? And we see in Scripture that, that Jewish people, they would religiously go to the synagogue or they would go to a temple, but that's not church, right? That's a place. In the same way, this building is not the church. We've talked about that before, right? This is the building that we have church in. But what's the church? You. You're the church. You're the church. So we don't really see the advent of the church until this story takes place. I want to give you just a little historical context on the book that we're about to jump into over the next several months. First of all, it's written by the Apostle Luke. Okay? So from the same guy who wrote the gospel according to Luke, uh, he also wrote Acts. He wrote it in um, somewhere between 63 A.D. and 70 A.D. Um, but the reality is it's really sort of like one book. The book of Luke and the book of Acts were, were, were meant to go together. In fact, at one point it was called Luke-Acts. It was meant to be read together and, 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 dis, and broken down together. But the early church, what they like to do is they take the Gospels and they kind of canonize them together. They had all the Gospels in the same place. And that's why they moved Acts away from Luke. But this morning, and you'll see throughout the series, we'll be jumping back and forth between Luke and Acts so that we can read them and study them contextually this morning. Uh, some other things we know about Luke. He was a physician, right? He was an academic. He was very smart. And I'm thankful this morning he was also uh, a historian because he took, he took such good detail of what took place in these early days in the church. We see uh, this very interesting piece that Luke writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts to one person, Theophilus, right? We're not sure who Theophilus was, but we do know that in the book of Luke, he, he refers to Theophilus as most excellent Theophilus. Let's look at that, can we? In the book of Luke, very first chapter, very first verse. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, to say most excellent Jacob was not something that was done in the early church. We, they didn't just go around saying, referring to everyone as most excellent. That's not a common phrase. But it is a phrase that they would uh, mention to someone who had authority. And so the thought is maybe that uh, Theophilus is some type of Roman official. You would say most excellent to a Roman official. Maybe Theophilus is somebody who uh, Luke is trying to convert to the gospel or more likely somebody he's actually already discipling to the gospel. But Theophilus means dear to God, lover of God, loved of God. It can mean both. And so there's some people who think that um, maybe this is a group of people or maybe this is a nickname that Luke has given to this person. We're not sure. But we do know that he, he mentions it in Luke and he mentions it also in the book of Acts that this is written for Theophilus. Either way, I'm glad he's written it for us as well. In the book of Acts, we see 10 sermons. We see five sermons by Peter, four sermons by Paul, 
and one by Stephen. And what I like about this is we all know Peter and Paul, right? They're kind of the professional Christian guys. Even though they were fishermen in the disciples, they spent all this time with Jesus. Stephen was not. Stephen was kind of like a layperson. So I love this picture that you and I together contend for the gospel. So we've got Peter and Paul preaching the message of Jesus, and we've got just a regular guy in the church, a follower of Jesus, preaching the message of Jesus. And we'll see in a little while that he actually becomes the first martyr of the church. The book of Acts is like a connecting point from the gospels of Jesus that talk about the life, uh, death, and resurrection, all the things that happen in his gospel and his life. It's a connecting point to the letters to the church. So it's this little snapshot, kind of a historical, beautiful snapshot of what was going on in the early church. Now listen, the Bible is written in two, in two ways, in a prescriptive way and in a descriptive way. And I want to explain what that means. And Luke is a perfect example of that. I'm sorry, Acts. This is, this is what that means. It means that God wants to show us what happened. So he kind of wants to describe some of the historical aspects. But not only that, sometimes God wants to show us how to live as a result of what happened, right? That's calling being prescriptive. And so the book of Acts both describes what happened and prescribes for us how to live. So that's why it's one of these incredibly, incredibly important books. Um, I want us to go ahead and, and just jump into it. But before I do, I want to mention this. The book of Acts is a book of mission. It's a book of mission. And you're going to hear this over the next several months. From eyewitness accounts and eyewitness experiences of the work of Jesus in their lives to a group of people, a ragtag bunch of people, not unlike us, a group of people, diverse, longing to live and do life together, who've been changed by Jesus, and then a desire to take his message to the ends of the earth. It's a book of mission. Let's, let's jump into it, can we? Let's read uh, the first chapter together in the book of Acts. I'll be reading from the ESV version of the Bible, okay? Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. He's speaking there about the book of Luke, right? After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 12. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Verse 21. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. May God bless the reading of his word. Can we, can we pray as we dig into this a little deeper this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for an account from Luke of what it was like in the early days of the church. God, thank you that you have a plan not only just to tell us what it was like at that point and at that time, but you have a desire, Lord, to show us as a church how we should live and how we should operate and what we should do as a result of what you've taught us in the book of Acts. So God, may we uh, be alert. May we be excited about this story, not only then, but as it's taking place now, as you accomplish your mission through us in your grace and in your mercy and in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're just getting started, y'all. We are just getting started. In the very first chapter, you can already see some craziness going on, right? Now, these guys saw miracles all the time. And so for them to see this kind of a miracle where Jesus just kind of floats out of the sky is not a new thing. But uh, it's still interesting nonetheless. Let's look at the very first verse. We're going to just begin to take this in bite-sized portions and break down this first chapter together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in the book of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now I want to bring your attention to a couple of things right here. Luke is trying to show Theophilus, as, as you see towards the end of this little passage, that he, was, he says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering with many 
proofs. He's trying to show Theophilus because there was an argument at that time. Did Jesus really die? Was he really dead? Or was he, you know, the word is, did he feign? Did he fake it? Well, you can't fake crucifixion, right? He was dead. He was dead. And so Luke is saying, listen, there's no question. Jesus was dead. But not only is there no question he was dead, there's no question that he became alive. He became alive. And he proved it. He said with many proofs over 40 days, he proved that he was alive. The next thing I want to bring your attention to is this next little phrase. He says, speaking about the kingdom of God in verse 3. Now, again, we're going to be jumping back and forth from Acts to Luke to take a look at kind of in context Luke's writing to Theophilus and to us. One of the things that I, I just wish I was there with all of my heart. So we have Jesus who's crucified. He's resurrected. And he's... He's alive, showing many proofs with his disciples. He's spending time with the disciples. And there's a point in the book of Luke we're going to take a look at here right now where Jesus finally sits down and begins to explain some things to them. And they needed it, as do we. Luke 24, 44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Listen to that. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance, the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Can you imagine that conversation? The very Jesus has been crucified and raised again, now sits down and says, okay, I'm going to explain some things. And not only that, it says he opened their minds to understand, which is what he has to do for us all. He has to open our minds to understand and my prayer this morning is that's exactly what he does. You see that there's a mention from Luke, he's referring to Jesus, of the promise of the Holy Spirit. But this is not just Luke or even a reference to Jesus. The promise of the Holy Spirit is a prophecy. Let's look at it from Ezekiel, can we? Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean and from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. I love that verse. I love that verse because it's kind of like, it's a reminder to us that this that's taking place in the early church is not new. This is not some new turn of events. It reminds us we're a part of a much bigger story and that we serve a God who is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? He's been writing this story. He's been prophesying, predicting what's going to happen because he allows these things to happen. He makes these things to happen, right? And so we see in Ezekiel where he says, there's going to be a time where I'm going to give you the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
thank God for that promise. Thank God that he replaces this heart of stone in our hearts with a heart of flesh so that we can love and know him. And thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you've given us. What a beautiful reminder that we're in a greater story than ourselves. Let's keep going through our text. Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now listen, I want to push pause real quick on our story. This is such an interesting verse to me because it's kind of like, well, it's not kind of like, the reality is the disciples don't get it. The disciples, they don't get it. And I can just imagine Jesus, them saying, so Jesus, are you going to restore the nation of Israel? And Jesus kind of going, oh. oh. And then he says, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or the sea. He kind of rebukes them. It's not for you to know right now. Do you know why I like this verse so much? Because it reminds me of me. See, we have in Luke showing us that the disciples have just, their minds have just been opened by Jesus. And he has just explained the scriptures to them. And moments later, they go, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? That reminds me of me because he's opened my mind to the scriptures and he's given me a heart of flesh and he's helped me to know and love him and still sometimes my priorities get out of whack. Am I, am I the only one here this morning? Sometimes I'm, I've been taught the truth and yet sometimes all I can see is right in front of me and what I'm looking at doesn't matter as much as the mission or the kingdom of God. And that's exactly the case. That's exactly what's happening here in this moment with Jesus and the disciples. They didn't get it. He'd explain things to them and yet they're still focused on what they can see and not the greater kingdom of God. Their priorities in the wrong place. Jesus' mission is for the kingdom of God to be known to the whole world and they're focused on the borders of a little tiny country. Do you ever do that? It's so easy. It's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? By the things that are right in front of our faces. And you know what was right in front of their faces? Roman guards. What was right in front of their faces are, are people <laughs> trying to snuff out this gospel. People trying to stop this story. And yet... Jesus is saying, listen, it's not for you to know right now. It's not for you to know right now. My prayer for our church, listen, is that we would be his disciples, that we would focus on his mission, on his kingdom. Now, we'll have grace for each other when we begin to focus on things that don't matter as much because that's what love does, right? It forgives a multitude of sins. But let me call us to focus on the right thing, church. Let's focus on the right thing. And the right thing is to be about the kingdom of God. The right thing is to be about the mission of God and not just what we can see with our eyes. Listen, we will always focus on the wrong thing when the spirit of God is not involved. Now, I've got this policy, or just kind of in my life, 
I want you to be able to ask any question you can think of. If you have one, I may not know the answer to it. There's a good chance I may not, but I'll try to find it, right? You can ask me anything you want at any time, but I would just ask you to do this. Pray before you ask it. It could be that the Holy Spirit of God would lead you to either not ask it or to find the answer yourself or to find some help. Because sometimes, listen, even as the disciples, they ask this question and Jesus was going, guys, that's not where we are. When the Spirit is not involved, sometimes we get out of whack. Our priorities get out of place. Let's look at this main verse of not only chapter 1, but of the whole book of Acts. The mission of Jesus, Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm going to read it again because it's such an important verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to do the witnessing, right? Have you ever been in a place, listen, have you ever been in a place, maybe you're on a plane, maybe you're talking to your neighbor, and you're beginning to just kind of think about, I, f- I feel like maybe I need to share Jesus with this person. I feel like maybe I need to say something about God. And yet you just kind of pull back, you're shy. You're, just, you're not sure how to say it. You're not sure what to say. You're just fearful. Is that just me too? Does anybody else do that? It's, it, that's easy to happen. Maybe you're talking to your neighbor and they're sick and you want to just say, hey, I want to pray for you. But I'm, you're afraid to say, I'm praying that God does his will in your life or whatever the case may be. Listen. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit of God empowers you to do the work. The Holy Spirit of God empowers you to do the work. I I love the example of when I hear the word witness, I can't help but think, I know you've heard this before, but I can't help but think of uh, a courtroom. When I think of a witness, I think about a courtroom. We got a judge, we got lawyers arguing a case, And then at some point they go, hey, we're going to call Drew Klein. He's going to be our witness. And I walk up and do-do-do. They're not asking me to argue the case. They're not asking me to make a judgment. They're asking me to tell my side of the story. They're asking me to, to, to say, this is what I know. This is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. This is what God has done in me. And listen, so many of us think that when we have to witness, we're going to have to lay out some dissertation of apologetics. And God's just saying, first of all, the Holy Spirit will empower you. And when you witness, just tell your side of the story. I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. That makes me feel like I don't have to be Ravi Zacharias I can just be Drew because one thing I know about me is that I've changed. One thing I know about me is that God has forgiven my sin and given me life in his son. And so if there's one thing I can tell anybody is that he's changed me. He saved me. He loves me. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. But not only that, do we remember the Great Commission? Jesus said, go therefore into all the world baptizing, making disciples, teaching them all the things I've taught you. And then he says what? I am with you even to the end of the age. 
The whole point of this book of Acts is that we are the witnesses God has called us to, but we don't have to do it alone. The Spirit of God empowers, and the person of God participates. The Spirit of God empowers us, and Jesus is with us. And yet, some of us, because of personality or lack of faith or whatever, we still shy away. I'm saying, listen, church, have strength, have faith, not in yourself. Just tell your side of the story and trust that the Spirit is with you and Jesus himself is present. Let's continue in our text in Acts 1, verse 9. It says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's push pause again. <laughs> I love this little snapshot of the humanity of these men. You know, like I said, when you're with Jesus, you're seeing miracles all the time. So they pro miracles probably kind of got a little second nature, like, here goes another miracle. Wow, I can't believe it. And so when Jesus begins to lift off the ground, hello, he's lifting off the ground. He's floating in the air. And so they probably were like, oh, here we, here we go again, right? Here's another one. He begins to lift up, and they're watching, not sure what was next. And then a cloud begins to cover Jesus, and they didn't know that that would be the last time. He's lifted, he's ascended into heaven. And the Bible says that he, they just look. And they use the word, they gaze. And what does that mean? A lot of theologians think that they, they looked um, kind of with a sad expression. Like, wait, is he gone? Is he gone? And they just gaze into heaven. What's happening next? Until two angels show up and they say, guys, what, what are you doing? Stop looking into heaven and let's get to work. And as soon as I read that, I thought about myself as a parent. Parents, how many times have you told your kids, when I come back to this room, this room better be clean. I, I'm coming back. It's going to be 20 minutes. I'm coming back, and it, you better have done some work, right? I kind of get this sense from the angel saying, he's coming back. In the same way you saw him go up, he's going to come back. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Let's go. So easy to get distracted. It's so easy. And I, you know, I've just tried to put myself in the place of these disciples this week. Here they've seen their best friend, their master crucified, and the misery of three days of waiting, and not even waiting, just misery. And then he's resurrected. Their, their emotions are like this, right? And then he's appearing to them, proving his resurrection power. Their emotions are all over the place, and now he, he goes and he's gone. And you can just imagine just like, what now? And they just get distracted as we do. And I found comfort in knowing that Jesus said this in John 16, 7. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. I, I never understood this verse because I always thought, no, I, I think it'd be better for me to be with Jesus. If I could just be with Jesus and hear him explain and 
touch him and hug him and watch him. Wouldn't that be amazing? And yet Jesus himself says, no. What's better is that I go away. Because if it's just me here, then I'm with these guys, but I'm not over there. When I send the Holy Spirit, he can be everywhere. He can be with all of you. And we can have a multiplication effect on the mission of God to reach people. Right? Jesus says, it's better for me to go. It's better for me to go. I want to bring your attention to this last half of Scripture in the first chapter. This is uh, Acts 1, 12 through 26. We're not going to read it. We've already read it. I'm going to recap it for you, though. Basically what happens here is and I, there's, there's a little section here that's not uh, explained to us. Like after the two angels, I'd love for them to know, did they have a conversation with the angels? Did they go, wow, that was crazy. There was two angels. You know, we don't know what happens. All we know is that they leave the Mount of Olives for Jerusalem. They go back and they get to work. And what may seem mundane to you and me in this little housekeeping exercise, half of the whole chapter of verse 1, it's not. God doesn't put mundane items in his word for no reason. There's something we can learn from this second half of chapter 1. So Peter realizes Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas has committed suicide. And so we've got to replace Judas. And he goes and tells the, tells the followers, about 120 of them, listen, we've got to replace G Judas. So what do we do? Who would you suggest? And they come up with uh, Justice and Matthias. And the, in essence, they flip a coin, and the coin basically lands to Matthias. <laughs> but it's not insignificant. I, you know, something as I, as I looked through this, I thought it was interesting. And God does this for us all the time. You know, Peter, in a very pastoral and brilliant way, he doesn't just make this about a housekeeping measure. He says, you know what, church? The Lord predicted this. He calls us back. Peter calls us back to a greater story yet again. And he says in the book of Psalms, David prophesied about these things. In Psalm 55, in Psalm 69, and in Psalm 109, he prophesies about Judas' death, his removal from his office, and finding his replacement. Peter's saying, listen, church, let's remember that what's taking place, even though our emotions have been up and down, we've been all over the place, and we're fearful and we're scared, and we don't, this is all new to us, and now Jesus is gone, let's remember that we're a part of a story that's bigger than us. Remember our father David, he prophesied these things about Judas. Now, do you think that would encourage your faith? As a believer in that time, to go, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. God did know about Judas. He did know this would happen. Jesus even said it in front of Judas. One of you will betray me. This did not take God by surprise, this act of Judas. And Peter had uh, foretold it. You know, God knows, he knows what you've walked through as well. He knows your story too. He knows the broken parts. He knows the good parts. He knows the fearful parts. He knows the questionable parts, the ones that you're still wondering. 
He knows the medical issues. He knows the doubts. He knows what has gone on in your life. And he would call us back to the story. The story that God is writing. It's not about us. So when we begin to get down because of the things we've faced and the things we've done and the things we've walked through, we have to remember we're part of a greater story and be called back to an author who is writing it and it's not us. And we have to submit to the story. God, what, what is this role? What do you have me doing in your kingdom? And how can I do more of it? We're not just meeting here on Sundays. You know, sometimes I think churches get confused about why they do what they do. We don't just meet here on Sundays and sing some songs like we've always done and hear a message and we can go home. No, we're here to be equipped. We're here to be equipped and sent out and to be on mission for the Lord right here where we are, right here, right here on baseline, right here, Interstate I-30, right here in Mabelville, right here in Otter Creek, right here in Alexander and Bryant and Benton and West Little Rock, right here, right where you live. And I love the fact that, that Jesus begins, just gives us a little foreshadowing of what he's about to do. And do you know, it's not a coincidence, do you know where the gospel began to take place? Just where he said, in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that's where the mission took off. That's where the fire spread. And so I say to us, right here, right here, we need to be on mission. Ed Stetzer, um, he said this, I think it's pertinent to our message this morning. He says, it isn't that God has a mission for his church. It is that God has a church for his mission. It isn't that God has a mission for the church. Church, I got something for you to do. No. God is already on mission. And we're called back to the greater story that he's writing. It's his mission. And by his grace, we get to be a part of it. I'm going to close. Pastor out of St. Louis, Darren Patrick. He said, you know, the thing about <laughs> Acts 1 and the thing about the book of Acts is that we have to learn as the church especially the American church, um, the difference between being a consumer and being a missionary. Being a consumer or being a missionary. He says, consumerism is where I can go to get the most and pay the least. Right? That's consumerism. And listen, it's not, that's not a bad thing. If I want to go buy a new TV then it's good stewardship for me to make sure that I get, and my dad would agree with this, the largest TV I can get, of course, at the least amount of money, right? Maybe. That's just good stewardship. But here's where we go wrong. We bring that thought process into the church. We bring it into the church. The church is not a place for our commerce. It's a place for our surrender. So I want to just close with a few things. We're going to put them on screen here. A consumer says this, hey, I can experience God by myself. 
But that's not true because we know that we are created to do life with other people, right? And so a missionary says this, I can experience more of God through other people. Consumer says, I can do it all by myself. And a missionary says, no, I can experience God through other people. Consumer also says this, you know what? I, I can participate in whatever I want to. I'll, I'll just do whatever I want to there. And the missionary says, no, I, I should embrace what the scripture says about the church. Jesus is the head of the church, not me. I will submit to him. Consumer says this, I am committed as long as my needs are met. I'm committed as long as my needs are met. And this, this is what it looks like in the church. You might have been really involved in something. You might have been volunteering. You might have been just working, working. And all of a sudden you don't like something and you, you put the brakes on. You start, you're maybe not giving as much. You're not volunteering as much. You're pulling back. I just don't know if my needs are being met. I just don't know if I, I agree with every little thing. Listen, a consumer says, I'm committed as long as my needs are, net, are met. But a missionary says, I serve others' needs through the church. This is God's story, and it's not about me. It's about him and his people. Consumer asks this question, and I'm done. What can the church do for me? I mean, what can they do for me? Remember the whole John F. Kennedy thing? Same sort of take. What can the church do for me? We're looking at churches. We're shopping around. You ever heard that phrase? <laughs> you don't ever hear the phrase, hey, we're looking for a place to go and die. Die to ourselves. Serve. We're shopping around because we brought this consumerism into the church. Consumer says, what can the church do for me? But a missionary asks, what can I do for the church? I'm not sure where you are this morning. And listen, all of us struggle with these things. But I want to call you to what the message of the Acts is, the message of this book. To know God to know his people and to make him known. And listen, in order to do that, it may not be about you. It may be an opportunity for you to come and give, come and die to yourself and serve so that we can reach right here, these people right here all around us, so that we can reach this city, so that we can reach this state and we can reach this country and world for the glory of God. Oh, God, we pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would, uh, you would help us to personalize this message from Jesus in Acts 1.8 so that when the Spirit of God comes upon us, we will be his witnesses here in Little Rock, here in Arkansas, here in the United States and to the ends of the earth, that we lay down our lives, God, and we say, Father, this is your story. Help us to get our priorities straight. Help us to not be distracted as those disciples were. 
but help us to have a heart for mission to do what you want to do in us, through us, not for us, for your glory, for your glory, that we would be obedient to you in your story because it's your mission, not ours. By your grace, Lord, you've called us to your mission. May we be about it in the name of Jesus. Amen.